We're starting a new series called King, uh, called Kingdom. I keep wanting to say the Kingdom, but I like it better without the the, just Kingdom. And uh, when we talk about um, Kingdom, I don't know if it's a word you've heard before, but it's it's one of those words we throw around in church a lot. How many people have heard it before? The Kingdom of God, Kingdom of God, Kingdom of God. Uh, it's one of those ones that goes round and round, and it's one of those words that a lot of people say. You know, I was um, I was watching the soccer yesterday, and my nephew was playing, and I was talking to one of the dads of the other boys, and and uh, we were chatting away, and then he said, "Oh, you're Ben's uh, Ben's uncle." I'm saying, "Yeah, yeah, Ben's uncle," and he said, "Oh, it's a." There's a, it was always a look at the stray cats about Ben. Always a look at the stray cats. And I was like, yeah, that's a, isn't that a great saying? I was saying to um, my sister-in-law, Susan, oh, you know, one of the dads was saying, Ben's got to look at the stray cats about him. And I thought that was a good, that's just a great phrase, isn't it? And uh, we talked for some time trying to figure out what on earth that might mean. Uh, the look at the stray cats. And she said, does it mean, does she think he needs a haircut? Uh, and I said, oh, I think it's more sort of a metaphorical thing of him being a bit vacant there in the midfield. Uh, and, um, but you know, I think sometimes the kingdom of God is a bit like that. You know, it's a bit of a look at the stray cats. What? It's a, yeah, the kingdom of God. Yeah, yeah. And everyone's like, yeah, yeah. Yes. Yeah, the kingdom of God. That's right. But what does it actually flipping mean is a very important question uh, that I want us to engage with across the next four weeks. What does it mean when we pray, your kingdom come, your will be done, or where we sing it over and over again? What are we, act- what are we actually praying? Because we're praying in code. It's a shortened. When we say the kingdom of God, what we're doing is we're shortening a massive concept into a single phrase. And so when we pray, your kingdom come, it'd be good to think about what, the, what, what sorts of things might, might we be insane insinuating uh, in a prayer like that. Amen. I'm going to read two scriptures and then we're going to get stuck into it. I've got 13 pages of notes, but it's a big font. I was like, flip, 13 pages. Then I printed out, thought oh, it's going to be okay, because uh, for some reason I've typed up in big font. I must have been angry. Uh, anyhow, Maddie's going to throw the scriptures up on the screen. You can read along in your Bible as well. In Matthew chapter 11, uh, one of my favorite little passages, Matthew chapter 11, where the disciples and Jesus are talking about John the Baptist and his ministry. Uh, and Jesus says some pretty amazing things. And he says uh, this in Matthew chapter 11, verse 12, it says, From the time of John the Baptist, now we know that the time of John the Baptist is really significant in God's big plan. God's big plan begins with creation. Very soon after that, in the story, as it's written, we hear we read about the fall of mankind. And then from the fall of mankind up until John the Baptist, God works a plan with Israel and the kings and the judges and the prophets to bring a people to Himself. Uh, and then through that people, He releases Himself into the human race as Jesus Christ, right? So the time of John the Baptist is important because John the Baptist came announcing the Messiah, announcing this God-man, this fully man fully God person, Jesus, who is going to die in our place, taking upon himself all of the sin of the whole of humanity, right? So that God could forgive us. He would take the sin upon himself. He would give us his righteousness, take the sin upon himself, right? So it's a big deal when Jesus says, from the time of John the Baptist, he's not just saying, uh, you know, my, my cousin John, uh, his birthday's a few months before mine. He's not talking about that sort of a time. He's talking about the epoch time of John the Baptist, right? Isn't that a good word? Epoch doesn't come up in church all the time. Uh, From the time John the Baptist began preaching up until now, the kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing. The kingdom of heaven has been forcefully advancing and violent people are attacking it. In the footnotes, it says, eager multitudes are pressing into it. So when we think about the kingdom of God, we've got to understand this is a kingdom, that this is an idea that moves. It moves from one space to the next space. It's an invasion of ideas. It's an invasion of more than ideas. It's an invasion of new reality. Come on, we're not here just to sit around thinking, uh, you know, sit around and just be, uh, you know, sing some songs, uh, read the Bible together. Come on, what we're doing as the church is we're bringing an invasion of new reality. I said before, new ideas, but it's not new ideas. It's a new reality that's ushered in first at John the Baptist's announcement and then in the coming Messiah, right? And it's violently, forcefully advancing. It's a forceful advance. And eager people, are there any eager people here today? Uh, come on, eager people are attacking it. Don't you like that? Our job as Christians is not to sit back and watch God work, but our job is to press in, to eagerly press into the kingdom of God. Everyone say the kingdom of God. 
Matthew chapter 9, 6, Jesus says, pray like this. You, you know this bit in the Bible. Our Father in heaven, may your name be kept holy. You don't know in the New Living Translation, though, do you? you? know it in King James. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as, as it is in heaven. Give us this day our, and forgive us our, my, that's, great. that's a great word, isn't it? Trespasses. It sounds like Gollum got hold of the Bible there. Uh, forgive us our sins. Forgive us our trespasses. Uh, as we forgive those who sin against us, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And it goes on, for thine is the kingdom, the power and glory forever and ever. Amen. But what are we praying when we pray, your kingdom come? What are we, what are we asking for when we're asking the kingdom of God to come near? Let's, we're going to talk about it for a bit and see if we can get, I reckon we can get three handles on it this morning. Is that all right? I've got three ideas that can give us a handle on the kingdom of God. My dad, though, he tells a story often. Uh, it comes up, you know, it's a, it's a story about him being stupid. So how many of you know those, those are the stories that live in the family? Uh, he, he often remembers uh, a time he played rugby. My dad was a, a pretty keen sportsman, played hockey for his school, but uh, they were, the rugby team was short. So they said, can you play for the rugby team? Uh, well, some of his mates said, can come play for the rugby team. And by some twist of fate and circumstance, he ended up uh, playing halfback. Now, if you just ring in somebody into the team, uh, there's only one place for them. It's called the wing. Uh, or if you really don't like them, put them at lock. But uh, otherwise, they sit on the wing and then they don't get the ball and, uh, and they just get run past a few times. But for some, you know, some, uh, through the game, he ended up playing halfback. And at some point, he was standing ball in hand at a scrum. Um, now, it may not have been a scrum. His understanding of the game was such it might not have been a scrum. He might not have been playing halfback. He might not have been asked to play halfback. He might have just been in the wrong place at the wrong time. Someone gave him the ball. There's a scrum. Uh, it might not have been a scrum. It was just a bunch of people. Anyhow, uh, he didn't know what to do. And it was in this moment of panic, he did uh, something that he's embarrassed about even to this day. He threw the ball across the scrum over the backs of the players who were bending down there to the, into the arms of a, a waiting and startled first five uh, who wasn't able to do what they always say, to, to play to the whistle. The ref didn't know what had happened. Uh, there was a general melee, a lot of shouting, and he found himself removed from the game. Now, my, <laughs> I think um, the dad was not a talentless sportsman. He captained the, he captained the, captained the hockey team, played representative of hockey. Right? He wasn't a talentless sportsman. He was just in an environment where he didn't know what was going on. Uh, there was other, everyone was, else was talking. You know, they would have been saying things to him like, oh, don't worry, just feed the ball into the scrum, which means something to some people, means nothing to other people, right? Uh, and when we talk about the kingdom of God, as Christian disciples, sometimes we find ourselves ball in hand. The attention of heaven is upon us and we don't know what we're talking about. We don't know what everybody's saying. We, 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 we even hear a sermon that's supposed to encourage, but we can't really translate. Uh, what does that mean as, as a husband, as a father, as a, as a school teacher? What does it mean, the kingdom of God? What is that? How does that work? I've got the ball in my hand. I've got uh, 28 kids in front of me when I was a school teacher. What does it mean to bring the kingdom here? And often we find ourselves throwing the ball across the scrum, a lot of shouting in general melee, and then we find ourselves on the bench again. Uh, and I reckon this morning we could get our hands on something to do. When the, what is something you can do with the ball in hand? Do you know what? What does it mean when we pray, our kingdom, your kingdom come, your will be done? What, is, what are we talking about? Are we, do, we, do we want every song on the radio to be a Christian song? I don't think that's what we want, uh, Isaac saying no. Do we want every meme on Facebook to be a Jesus meme? Uh, is that, would that be the kingdom of God coming to Facebook? Would be that every meme was replaced with a Jesus-ish type meme? Uh, opening in prayer before everything we do, would that be the kingdom of God coming? I think it's something so much bigger than Christianizing. It's a much bigger idea. It's a much bigger reality than, than everyone turns up at church. There's the kingdom of God coming as a shift in our experience. It's a shift in our understanding. It's a shift in the nature of reality. It's a shift in nature itself, in the created order. The kingdom of God coming in and, and making home with us is a massive, massive deal, right? Have a think, what's your world look like? The world that you inhabit, the life that you live. Come on, you spend so much time in it. What's it like? What, 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 what would it look like for the kingdom of God just to come to you, into your world, into your life? 
What does that look like? What does it look like for the kingdom of God to be evident in your neighborhood, in your school, in your workplace, on your bus ride? Come on, sometimes we throw the ball over the scrum, but here's, here's three things we could think about. 2 Corinthians chapter 4 is an interesting passage of the Bible. Actually, 1 Corinthians, excuse me, 1 Corinthians is a great book in the Bible. 1 Corinthians is a great book in the Bible. And just a little bit of historical context about Corinthians. Uh, the Corinthian church was planted by the Apostle Paul, and Corinth, uh, Corinth is on an isthmus, uh, much like Auckland City. In fact, Auckland used to be called uh, the Corinth of the Antipodes. Uh, so it's very similar geography to Auckland. There's a, there's a harbour each side of Corinth and, and a high ridge line, uh, which you have in Auckland as well, uh, running through the middle, right? And because was, there was harbour on each side, Corinth was a really significant trading port. Uh, so it was a place where lots and lots of ideas would come and go. Um, the Corinthian people uh, were sort of renowned. They were renowned throughout the ancient world. They were renowned party people. They were renowned worshippers and worshipping then meant getting drunk and then having sex with lots and lots of temple prostitutes. That was how they would worship. And so the, the culture of Corinth was pretty dissimilar to the culture of the kingdom of God. Uh, and Paul begins, uh, uh, the, the, the work of God begins in Corinth. He, he works, first of all, with the, um, the, the, just the Jewish synagogue, part of the city. And ultimately, um, Gentile believers become part of the church and they begin uh, following Jesus. And, and, and sometime later, um, Paul hears reports coming back of what's going on in the church. And there's all sorts of stuff going on in the church. There's a lot of people coming to church and getting drunk on the communion wine. You can't do that here unless, unless the grape juice has been sitting around for a long time, uh, which we, we're not going to say doesn't happen, but you know, uh, you can't. But I don't know if you can imagine that everyone comes to church and they share a meal together afterwards. So you come to church, worship God, share a meal together afterwards, and then everyone's drinking and a lot of people are wildly drunk. But then also during praise and worship, there's all sorts of mayhem goes on uh, where people are just, uh, just sort of, just, uh, we're just, just going sort of crazy in terms of the corporate worship. And there was no honor of each other. There was no honor going on in the service. Then there was other stuff happening where people's lifestyles were so contrary to the righteous plan of God, contrary to the, plan, the, the ways of God, uh, but it was never corrected because there was this libertarian sort of dynamic going on, right? And then a bunch of people come in and they begin teaching in the church, teaching a whole lot of uh, different sorts of stuff. One of the things they begin teaching uh, is into all the chaos, they begin teaching like a real strict religious law. Other people are teaching a real libertarian grace. And we know the Apostle Paul teaches a grace that empowers us to live free from sin. Uh, they were teaching a grace that empowers us to do whatever we want, uh, or else they were teaching that, hey, we need to be circumcised and follow the whole pattern of Jewish law, Right? And Paul goes wild. Paul gets wild. He writes the letter in a, the First Corinthians. He, he writes, and as you read it, he's he's actually wildly angry. He's not angry about everything that's going on in the church. One of the main things he's angry about is the false teaching. And the people, people have come up with all these ideas about grace and all these ideas about the kingdom of God, all these ideas about Jewish law and circumcision and how Jesus, uh, you know, really operates and all this sort of stuff. And they're teaching it, teaching it, teaching it. And Paul's like, I'm going to come there. I'm going to, he literally threatens people physically, uh, which he wasn't able to back up because he was a small person. But he says something in the middle of all this mayhem. He says something I think is interesting. Because I think the church, the church in the modern world is, is at least as, as chaotic as the Corinthian church. Our, our, our lives may be pretty ordered, but if you take a snapshot across the whole world, even if you take a snapshot across your own heart, there's chaos happens all the time. And we've got all these confused ideas. I don't know about you, but you, we end up with all these confused ideas from every blog post we've read, every YouTube video we've read, um, you know, all, all the Facebook preachers of the world coming out with all sorts of stuff. And we get chaos and all sorts of stuff happening, right? You got people make a lot of money in the church writing books about a whole lot of stuff. And Paul says this the kingdom of God is not about fancy talk. It's not just a matter of mere words, it says in other translations. It's not all these bunch of ideas, all this talk and this talk and this talk. This is what he says. I don't know if Maddie can throw it up. The kingdom of God is not just a whole lot of talk. My translation says it's not just fancy talk, it is living by God's power. 
So when we talk about the kingdom of God, what does the kingdom of God look like in your life? It looks like you living by God's power. That, I didn't reckon that's, that, that's a bit of a handle. Okay, living by God's power. When we pray for the kingdom of God to draw near to us personally, we're praying that God's power would be the driving force of our life. The reality of who God is would be the driving force of our life. The structures and how God says the world works, that'll be the shape in which our life is expressed, right? Living by God's power, right? Now, how many know you can get confused with a whole lot of fancy talk? But if you come back and focus in on actually, how do you live? What is your life like? When we as a church, as a church community say, well, what's the community of our church like? How do we live our lives? Do we live with God's power at work within us? Or are we living just any old how with a whole lot of fancy talk happening? You know, the Corinthian church, one of the problems was that they believe like we do. Uh, most of us believe that we have a spirit which is separate from our body. This is a wrong idea. This is a false idea. You are, you are a person. You're called a human being. You are tripartite just as God is tripartite. You are made up of spirit, soul, and body, but you're one entity. The Corinthian church, because they believed they were a dual, a dual entity, a spirit that was holy and good and poetic and powerful, and a body that was evil, they felt that they could do whatever they want in their body and it wouldn't affect their spirit heart with God, right? But come on, we've got to bring our whole life together and say, what does our life look like? No, we can all sing the songs in church, lift our hands and worship. We can all do a bunch of stuff that looks spiritual, but what is our, what's, the, what's really happening in our life? What's the power at work in our life? Old translations of First uh, Corinthians chapter four twenty say this: uh, the kingdom of God is not a matter of mere talk, but it's a matter of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. So here's here's what the kingdom of God looks like: it looks like righteousness, peace, and joy. Now, we haven't really shrunk our concept very much because righteousness, peace, and joy, three big things in this one concept, the kingdom of God. Look, put them together. It's living by, the, living by God's power, which is righteousness, peace, and joy. The old translations go on and say, in the Holy Spirit. So it's the righteousness, peace, and joy that only God can bring when He works His Holy Spirit through our lives. That's what we're looking for, right? How many of you reckon there's three good handles we could get a hold of this morning? Righteousness, peace, and joy. Everyone say righteousness. Uh, what does righteousness mean? Righteousness, just I like that it's really easy to define. It just means rightness. It's just right. You're right. Not she'll be right. That's not righteous. It's usually unrighteous. Uh, but what well, righteousness is, is rightness. Uh, if you expand it out a little bit, it's, it's right standing with God. That's the scriptural sort of picture of it. That when we're, when we're in righteousness, when, we're, when righteousness is at work in our world, we are in right standing with God. So righteousness speaks primarily to your relationship with, between you and God. Your relationship vertically, if you like, even though God doesn't live up in heaven, He lives all around us in heaven. Uh, the reality is when, when, when the kingdom of God is present, there's a shift in your relationship, my relationship. When the kingdom of God is at work, our relationship with God changes. Our position before God changes. And the, and the, no, the kingdom of God is not about a whole bunch of talk, but it's about righteousness. It's about an actual change in our relationship with God. Because we can talk a lot about who God is and what He's like. We can have all the fancy talk but it's actually, what's your actual relationship with God like? What's it really like? How are you, where do you stand before God? Do you feel, do you experience the righteousness of Christ? Not all of the time, but do you experience it? Do you know what it feels like to be in right standing with God? Because when the kingdom of God breaks into your world, that's what you begin to feel. There's a shift in your position between you and God. The Bible says things like, once we were far away from God, but by the blood of Christ, we're being brought near. That's a shift. It's a change in our position. It's a change in our relationship. Right? Now we know that we, 
can stand in the righteousness of Christ. But because of God's, because of Jesus' sacrifice, we can, we can, ex, we can stand in righteousness before God. Now we could know that, but sometimes it's just fancy talk. Sometimes it's just someone saying, come on, feed the ball in the scrum. Stand in the righteousness of Christ. Uh, come on, when you're out on the town and you've had one drink too many and then two drinks too many, one thing can lead to another. And what happens? Usually one thing leads to another, right? And you find yourself outside of this right standing with God. But what happened? What, I think what happened was you didn't know what to do. You threw the ball. See, I think there's two ways we can mess this up. Number one is that we do wrong stuff. We do wrong stuff because we, the kingdom of God is not fully at work in us. Why? Because we're on a journey. Everyone say journey. And the Bible says there's a blessing for people who commit themselves to the journey. Right? We're blessed when we say, come on, I'm on a journey. It's a blessed place to be. I'm moving forward. I'm on a journey, right? Right? There's a blessing in that because if you want to try and be perfect from today onwards, that's going to be curse. There's blessing in saying, come on a journey, right? When we're on our journey, how do we keep staying in a right relationship with God? If we keep doing wrong stuff, we keep messing up our righteousness before God, don't we? Don't we? We keep making ourselves unright, right? So we can get it wrong by continually doing wrong things. But where we get it really wrong is when we begin to excuse wrong things. When we begin to accept wrong things. When we begin to identify ourselves with the wrong things in our lives. Even the worst person here, 99% of the time you're doing the right thing. So why would you identify with the 1% of your life that's out of order? Well, partly because the Holy Spirit keeps drawing your attention to it so you can adjust those things. And partly because the devil wants to keep reminding you about those things that are out of order. Why does the devil want to keep you reminding you of those things that are out of order so he can focus all of your attention on that things that are out of order and distract you from the fact that the kingdom of God is working in you. And it's not just a whole bunch of talk. He is shifting you into right relationship with God. Because of the sacrifice of Christ, God's at work in us, shifting us. Day by day, week by week, as we, st- as we follow God, as we relate to God, as we trust in Jesus, we're being shifted and God shifts us into right relationship, righteousness. So we can get it wrong by doing wrong stuff. And the other way we can get this whole righteousness thing wrong is when we set up a religious system and have a whole bunch of rules. So you get this wrong by doing wrong stuff. One drink too many, two drinks too many, three drinks too many. And you get it wrong as well by saying, everyone who has a drink is going straight to hell. Either way, it's not the righteousness of God. It's not the kingdom. The kingdom of God is a relationship with Jesus. It's a, it's a relational righteousness. It's not a legal, it's not a legal idea in its, in its entirety. There's a legal component, but it's essentially it's a relational term. It's our right standing before God. Do you know you can have right standing before God? You can stand before God righteous because of what Jesus has done. Because of the kingdom of God at work. That's what Jesus was excited about when he said, come on, the kingdom of God is at hand. He was excited that people would have right standing with God. Amen. I think it's time to press in. I think it's time to violently attack righteousness. Let's get get eager. Let's get eager about being righteous. Let's get eager about living righteously. Let's get eager about a relationship with God. Let's get eager about pressing in. Sorry, I'm getting a bit eager. Because we can get, we can be casual. I'm mostly casual, right? But we can be casual about our relationship with God. But come on, when the kingdom of God's at work in our world, we'll find ourselves becoming eager, eagerly pressing into God, eagerly trying to understand who He is. You know, it's really We can easily just dismiss this whole idea of God. Oh, it's just a whole bunch of, you know, come on. 
Come on, there's something more to get a hold of. Oh, but it's really hard to get it. Now, come on, you be, let's get eager. Come on, what would it mean to press in and find right standing with God? Oh, but I've got all these issues. Yeah, but come on, what about eagerly pressing into a relationship with God? And you'll find those issues begin to resolve as the righteousness of God works deeper and deeper into your heart. What would it look like to get serious about attending church and worshiping with His people? What would it look like to eagerly pray every day? Reading, studying the Word of God, meditating on the Word of God, responding to the Word of God. What about listening eagerly to preaching? What about confessing your sin and praying for each other? What about responding to God? What about living out our daily lives? Living out in our daily lives the things that He's speaking to us. Doing that eagerly. Living in right standing with God, living in righteousness. This is what the kingdom of God looks like. It's a shift in our relationship with God where we no longer feel like outsiders, but we're, we're accepted in the beloved. God loves us. He's called us. He's chosen us because of the righteousness of Christ. We have right standing with God. He makes us worthy. He makes us holy. He works in us to transform us, right? That's a kingdom righteousness that all of us can get a hold of. Come on, the ball is in our hand. God's done, God's done His part. But come on, there's, there's, there's a whole life that we can connect with. This is what would it look like if we pressed into it, eagerly pressing into what God has got for us. Everyone say righteousness. Come on, the kingdom of God's not a matter of just talk. It's a matter of righteousness. The righteous power of God working with us. And it's a matter of peace. Uh, if there was ever a big word, it's this word peace. When we, when we think of the English word peace, We've compressed into the English word priest, uh, peace, uh, uh, a gigantic Jewish concept, which is shalom. And we press it into this Greek word peace. Uh, and peace is a powerful word, isn't it? But sometimes we think about peace, we think about, oh, you know, a bit of peace and quiet. And what we mean is sort of 10 minutes, you know, while the children are all in timeout at the same time, when you know, their schedules line up. Or, or peace and quiet is where, you know, we, we get away on a holiday and we're at the beach and, 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 uh, and well, finally a bit of peace and quiet. But here's the difference between peace and, and peace. You can have peace and quiet. You could be sitting, lying on the beach. Couldn't you? You're lying on the beach. Sun's shining. The funny thing is you can't imagine warmth. I mean, whenever I'm lying on the beach in the summer, I think I'm just going to remember this feeling so that in June... I'll be able to feel it. I remember, you can't even remember it. Peace is much bigger than I, 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 you know, finally I get a bit of time out. Peace is where things come into order, right? This Greek word shalom, it means, it means well. It's about favor. It's about friendship and community. It's great. It means good health. It's perfect, right? Safe, well, happy, friendly. It talks about welfare, prosperity, family. All of these sort of concepts are jammed into this word. Wholeness and completeness is this idea of peace. The first thing we've got to understand is when the Bible says peace, it's always talking about a community. So when the kingdom of God comes, first and foremost, there's a shift in our relationship with God. Secondly, there's a shift in our relationship with people. Peace is about community and peace is about everything being well and prosperous and whole within the community of mankind. Now, how many people know it's one thing to have uh, everyone well and prosperous and healthy in your own home? How many people know that's a challenge? Right? It's a miracle if we can all be on the same page, uh, the six of us, right? Or the three of us. Or, uh, you know, what about in your flat, you and your crazy flatmates? They're all crazy, except you. And then we talk to one of the others and they say, they're all crazy, except me, right? What, would pe what does peace look like? Well, peace looks like relationships are whole and well and, and people are prosperous and there's a sharing and a connection. But what does it look like? What does peace look like? Come on, what does the kingdom of God look like in the community of mankind? How many people know we're praying a big prayer when we say, let your kingdom come? That's a prayer about Syria. And it's a prayer about Wall Street. 
It's a prayer about the beehive. It's a prayer about Waitangi Rua. It's a prayer about people in prison cells. It's a prayer about small children without enough food to eat. It's a prayer about factories in Bangladesh making clothes so that we don't have to spend so much money. Come on, it's a prayer about bobby calves and how well they're treated. It's a prayer about peace. The kingdom of God, when we say, let your kingdom come, that's a prayer. That's an activist prayer. That's a protest prayer. That's a prayer that says the systems and the kingdoms of this world are simply not enough to usher in the plan and the purposes of God. The plans and the purposes of human thought are not enough to usher in what God's plan. We need the system of God, the kingdom of God to change things. Come on, it's an economic prayer. It's a health and welfare prayer. It's a family safety prayer. It's a drug and alcohol abuse prayer. When we say, let peace come, let the kingdom of God come. We're praying for a change in our society that that touches every person. We're praying for a change in every school. We're praying for a change on university campuses. We're praying for a change in every court case. We're praying for a change in the prison cell. We're praying for a change of heart in the heart of a constable dealing with a difficult teenager. We're praying for peace. Come on, we're praying for a change in the system that would allow people to be hungry. I was talking to one of the soccer dads this week, and we got onto a, a discussion about this, because whenever you're preparing a sermon, every conversation, you find your way back there. And, and the other guys, not as far as I know, is not a Christian, but is passionate about the world. He's older than me, but he's, he's passionate about the world. And it's pretty amazing once you get someone really talking. And he made this simple point that if 85 individual people, there's 85 people in the world, those 85 people own more, control more wealth than six, uh, than three and a half billion of the poorest. Because that, that's just wrong. That there's 85 people with that much prosperity and children are starving? That's just wrong. That's not peace. That's the kingdoms of this world. That's what the kingdoms of this world produce. But the promise of the Scripture is that the kingdoms of this world will become the kingdom of our God and King. And we're seeing what we're going to see across history. You've got to understand what across history we'll see the breakdown of the kingdoms of this world so that the kingdom of God can arise. The kingdom of God can emerge. When we pray that prayer, we're praying for change. Have a listen to this. This is what Revelation chapter 21 verse 4 says. Revelation 21 is like the last chapter. This is, what, this is what it looks like at the end. And John says, I saw the new heaven and a new earth. And the old heaven and the old earth, the old system, the old way of everything working had disappeared. And the sea was gone. The sea is always about sin. And I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down from God out of heaven like a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. I heard a loud shout from the throne saying, look, God's home is now among His people. He will live with them and they will be His people. And God Himself will be with them. And He will wipe every tear from their eyes. And there'll be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. And the one sitting on the throne said, Look, I'm making everything new. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There'll be no more death or sorrow or crying or pain. All these things are gone forever. What does it mean when shalom is forcefully advancing? What would it look like to eagerly press into peace? What does it actually look like? How do you actually do it? How many of you know you you can't just pray this prayer? Oh, let peace come. There's a power, that's just mere talk. Living by the power of God says, I'm going to live my life for the righteousness and the peace of God to be manifest. That's going to affect how you spend your money, how you spend your holidays, what you study. It's going to affect the trajectory of your career. 
What does it look like for the Christian disciple eagerly pressing into shalom? Every follower of Jesus, there's a different answer to the question of what does this look like? You could go and teach in a tough school or you could go and teach in a rich school. Because you can bring peace in both those places and there's just as much need. You could move to a difficult neighborhood and start helping your neighbors or you could just talk over the fence to the neighbors you've already got. Right? You could send some money to kids in Africa or start petitioning the government for changing our economics here. You could become an international lawyer and chase corrupt corporates for missing billions. Or you could pay your own taxes. Either way, these are actions of peace. You can't pray for the peace of God to impact New Zealand and not pay your taxes. Who do you, when you don't pay taxes, I imagine you all pay taxes. We run a small business, but when you don't pay taxes, who, who are you hoping misses out? Oh, I hope there's less policemen now. What are, you, what are you not paying your taxes for? Why would you not do that? Oh, yeah, brilliant. The hospital will be one more nurse short this shift. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, the ambulance is going to run out of petrol on the way to your house. Right, come on. The reality is, come on, we're connected as a nation. Let's, let's work for peace. When you get your tax return at the end of the year, you see how much tax you paid, you should be rejoicing. Come on, look at the contribution that God has been able to make to New Zealand through my earnings. Come on, these are actions. How many people, how many people know taxes is pretty boring? But I'm, I'm inspired by tax now when I think about it this week. I'm like, man, tax me more. Come on, because there's stuff that needs to happen in New Zealand. Isn't there? I think there's stuff that needs to happen. Um, you could become a nurse and travel to Africa or to Newtown. Where you go and what you do are really important. But what you do means the most. Pretty inspiring if someone was to share the testimony. Oh, they're, they're going to go on a missionary to the other side of the world. That's awesome. If that's what God's called you to do, you've got to do it. But come on, we can be agents of the kingdom of God right now, wherever we are. Oh, right now, wherever I, I want to say that you, it's not that you can be, you are an agent for the kingdom of God. And I'm not talking about mere talk. Come on, what are the actions you can put into place? How can you live with the power of God, ushering in a righteousness, ushering in a peace, and ushering in joy? Everyone say joy. Joy. A kingdom of joy. How many people think happy, happy, joy, joy? You know, I think uh, joy is a funny emotion. I don't know as much as some of my esteemed colleagues on the front row here uh, about emotions, but I do have some of my own. Um, in biblical terms, joy is referred to as a fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness. I start to lose them now. Gentleness, self-control, and faith. Anyhow, I know joy is the second one. Love, joy, peace, right? But these are fruits of the Holy Spirit, it says in Galatians. That means that these are things that grow in our life as, the, as evidence that the Holy Spirit is at work in us. Joy is one of these things that grow. Um, but what, is it, what does it actually mean? You can ask me or you could ask Kay Warren. How many of you know Kay Warren? is Rick Warren's wife, and she writes uh, pretty extensively as well as an awesome leader. If you know a little of their story, she's written a book recently called um, Joy Because Happiness Is Not Enough. And they recently had one of their adult sons commit suicide after a 20-year battle with um, chronic depression. And so when she writes about joy, because happiness is not enough, she's done a little bit of personal journey, right? She says this, joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of all of the details of my life. It's the quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right. And it's a determined choice to praise God in every situation. It's a settled assurance. Is it up there? A settled assurance that God is in control of all of the details of my life. It's the quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right and the determined choice to praise God in every situation. It's not really about happiness. 
There wouldn't be, it's a different thing altogether. You can be happy without being joy, having joy. I think that joy is really internal. And I, I like this definition because it's all internal. It's in, it's in here. It's what's going on in here that determines that we have this joy. And the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy. And the power of the Holy Spirit realigns our relationship with God. It realigns how we think about the world around us and humanity and the people in our world. It realigns us in terms of peace. And I think it helps us to accept who we are. Joy realigns our relationship with ourselves. How do you find joy? You know, a good joke might help. A good night's sleep might help. But there are times in our life when happy's not enough and we need this deep assurance that we, that we see in this quote. If righteousness is how we relate, come on, through Jesus to the Father and peace is about how we relate through Jesus to the world, then joy, I think, is about how we relate through Jesus to ourselves. Can you look at, when you look at yourself in the mirror, not the metaphorical mirror and the man in the mirror, when you actually look in the mirror, what happens in your heart? Try it out when you get home. Don't do it in public, it'd be a bit weird. Because see, when I see, when I get home from work and Lucia comes running, the kids race because Lucia's made it, everything's a competition. When they run at me, when I see their faces, joy happens in my heart. But when I see my face, other things happen too. When you see your face in the mirror, when I look at my face in the mirror, sometimes I feel disappointed. Sometimes I feel ashamed. Sometimes I feel just very, very tired. But do you know what you should feel? Joy. That says, I've got an assurance that everything's going to work out okay. Do you know what? Even you will work out okay. You'll be okay. The kingdom of God at work in you will help you understand it, help you feel it. You'll be okay. Do you know, I love to jog. And I jog regularly and have done for years. Um, and I have run a marathon in three hours 52, so I've done it properly. And you can't run a marathon in three hours 52 without doing a lot of hours of training. And so I've done lots of hours and hours of jogging all around Wellington, on the hills and around, mostly around the flat parts. But you can, you can run, because nowadays you track yourself with GPS. You just run faster when you're feeling good. Your whole body works better. Do you know your whole body works better when there's joy at work? Your whole body works. Oh, my body's, you know, I'm getting old. Do you know what you might be getting? You might be getting miserable, disappointed, and sad. Oh, I'm, oh you know, I can't get out of bed like I used to. Come on, yeah, well, yeah, yeah, you are getting older, but there's older people who are still sparked with joy. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is at work in them. Do you know what you can't do? Write this down on your notes. You, what you can't do, you, will, you can never pull yourself together. You can never pull yourself together. But the Holy Spirit can tie up the loose ends of our life, help us understand the disappointments, help us deal with the pain, and find joy in the middle of our circumstance. You know, last night I was jogging, I ran along the skyline just before sunset. The skyline from Macro Pass sort of out towards Parkvale Road. And I got to Parkvale Road just as the sun was sort of setting. And for 10 minutes, I stood there in the cold. And um, just as the sun's setting over, sort of over the, it's over, it sets at the moment over the hills of like Nelson Lakes National Park. And you could see the Takaka Hill right out west. It's awesome. And, and it's the sun setting there and you can see the hills of sort of South Wellington. And then through, there's a little gap. From there, there's a little gap. And you can see, just amazingly, there's a gap in the hills. You can see a little bit of Cook Strait. And then you can see the seaward, uh, sorry, the inland Kaikouras as well. And they're standing out real good now because they've got snow on them again. And for 10 minutes, for just about a minute and a half, the sun as it was setting in the west, I could see through this little gap. And it was the gold and that red gold color of a good sunset was catching the snow, this like 
week-old snow. And joy happened. Joy, joy happened. Not, not, it's a beautiful view. But joy happened. The Holy Spirit, the, the creation worship to God sparked joy in me, just like, like our worship together sparked joy in my heart this morning. Come on, when the kingdom of God's at work in your world, whatever your circumstance, whatever's going on, whatever your blood pressure is, whatever the doctor is saying, whatever your family are doing to you, whatever your flatmates are like, whatever your university results are going to be, whatever your boss is like, come on, there's joy because we have an assurance that God's at work in me. It's going to be all right. God's at work in me. The demons won't defeat me. God's at work in me. I'll hold it together. God will hold me together. Come on, what does Jesus say? Even though the psalmist says, even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will what? Fear no evil because God is with us. What does it look like to press into joy? What does it look like to press in as joy is forcefully advancing? I reckon that is a bus worth catching. It's a bus worth catching if you get the TH in the right place. Come on, the kingdom of God is forcefully advancing. I don't know how eager you are, but I'm eager to press into the righteousness of God. I'm eager to press in to peace. I, I think that in our culture, we're way too lax in the church in New Zealand. is way too lax about peace. Jesus... You know, if you've got, if you've got, if you're born in New Zealand, you're blessed. If you're blessed, there's only one reason. You're blessed to be a blessing. If, if, if you have money, it's not because you're smart and it's not because you worked hard. It's because you're blessed. Oh, but I'm smart and I worked hard. You know, a lot, I, there's a lot of people in the world smarter than you and working harder than you and they have no money. You don't have money because you worked hard and because you're smart. You have money because God blessed you. Why did God bless you? I don't know why, but because He's blessed you, you're in a position to be a blessing. Amen. Why don't you close your eyes and bow your heads? We've got five minutes to pray and uh, before the morning tea kicks in. Holy Spirit, we thank you for your presence here. God, we thank you that you are our teacher. And right now, right across this place, I pray that your kingdom will come in us, in our hearts, in our lives, in our worlds. Right now, Holy Spirit, I ask you to bring to mind to each person here, Lord, draw to their attention where you're wanting to work deeper into their world. Lord, those who are outside of relationship with you, would you draw them in to right standing with you? Lord, those who are far away from your peace, they don't walk with that sense of shalom personally. They don't, they don't carry a passion for peace. Lord God, would you spark us? Would you inspire us? Would you challenge us, God? Lord, and those of us who are deeply unhappy with ourselves, Lord, even as Dougal was saying, those of us who are struggling with those feelings of unworthiness, Lord God, I pray you'd remind us of your joy. A joy that says it's going to work out. It's going to work out. The kids will be fine. It's going to work out, Lord. You've got us. You hold us in your hand. You hold us in your hand. Perhaps you're here and you've never made a decision. Perhaps you've, you've never come to a point where you've finally decided, yeah, I'm going to make Jesus the center of my world. I'm going to choose today to follow Him. If that's you and you've never made the decision before, it's a really important first step in a journey following God. If you've never taken that first step, it would be an honor for us to pray together. And, and so I want to give you the opportunity to make that decision this morning. Say, yep, I'm going to trust in the salvation of Jesus, His sacrifice for me. And if that's you, I'm going to lead you in a short prayer where you can acknowledge Jesus. I'll give you the words to pray. We'll all pray together. The idea is that it's not embarrassing, but it, it gives you an opportunity to make a really clear decision. A decision that you will always remember. No, I made that decision for the first time and the first Sunday in June at Wellington High School Hall. So if you're here and you've never made that decision, while everyone else has got their heads bowed and their eyes closed, why don't you just look up, catch my eye, give me a wave and say, yeah, I'd like to make that decision this morning to acknowledge Jesus. I'd like to take that first step 
by asking Him to save me and, and choosing to follow Him. We give, we give this opportunity every single Sunday because we know that it's such an important first step in following Jesus is a decision that we make by lifting a hand, by praying a prayer to make Jesus the center of our world. I'm still looking around. If that's you, catch my eye, give me a wave. Then you can pop your hand back down and then we'll all pray together. Awesome. Very, very cool. Joey, why don't you, can we stand to our feet just before we go? I'd like us to just really seek God for a little bit. I'm going to ask you to do a bit more, bit more work where you're at. Maybe t- tonight I'm going to preach just, I'm going to focus just on, on joy. And um, the, like, because you could actually preach, you could write a little, oh, like a whole book about each of these three points. Um, but I just want to focus tonight on joy and, and how do we actually build joy and how do we actually open our hearts to the joy of God. But, but I thought we could pray right now. I just think it, it, partly because of what Dougal said, I think this is something we need to really get a hold of individually. So I'm going to ask you to close your eyes, bow your head, or just, you don't have to bow your head, but you can just give yourself a, a private space. And just have a think about this. Think of those things about you that you really hate. Maybe it's the mistakes that you make. Maybe it's your personality. Maybe it's the fact that you snort when you laugh. It might be something sort of silly like that, or it might be something really deep. Or maybe it's like Dougal was saying, that actually it's just a vague dissatisfaction. There's a vague sense of that you're not enough. Come on, those feelings, those thoughts are robbing you from joy. And and I really believe the Holy Spirit's here right now, and He wants to, I can almost sense that God wants to, Come around the room and he just wants to put his hand upon your head. Like a like a dad would to a kid, just put his hand on the head and you know, like your uncles do. Just put their hand on your head or slap you on the back. God just wants to reach out and touch you in a way where you feel the assurance of his love, his acceptance of you. So right across from just lift your hands. I really believe the Holy Spirit's here to do that. I'm gonna pray. Just as Vakash is playing. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. He's, God's moving right now. He's moving right now. Even some of you can sense His presence. He, he loves you. He loves you. He loves you. When He sees your face, it sparks joy in His heart. When He sees your face, it sparks joy in His heart. He's not disappointed. In you, He's not ashamed of you. He's not upset by you. He's not upset because of what you've done or how you live or or, the, or, or, or your weaknesses or your difficulties. He's not upset by that. He is overjoyed. The Bible says that He leaps in joy at the sight of you. He runs about. He rejoices because of you. Holy Spirit, we welcome you. Come on, just pray right now. We just pray, God, move in our hearts. God, move in our hearts.